Well, good morning to you. It's certainly good to see you on what is very obviously the first weekend that school's out. Uh, it is so good to see you here today. Thank you for being a part uh, of our time together this morning. Uh, do be in prayer. We got a lot of folks that are uh, using this as an opportunity to get away and, and rest for a while. So be in prayer for those who are traveling. And it is summertime, so we know that the vacations are uh, going to abound over the next couple of months. Uh, just pray for those who travel, that God will keep them safe and give them a good time of rest and relaxation as they, as they go on uh, their time. I hope that you picked up a bulletin on the way in. All of the announcements that are here are extremely important. Uh, there's two that I want to call your attention to that are in the bulletin, one being that we have started our ministry team sign-up. Uh, the sign-up sheets are in the front foyer uh, to my right, and as you, as you go out to your right, over in front of the uh, elevator, so you'll find them there. We need you to let us know what team you want to serve on starting in September. Now, each team is made up of individual ministries, uh, and you can also let us know as you sign up for the team which of those ministries you would like to be involved in. So please help us do that. Uh, this kind of takes the place of a lot of our nominating process. Instead of us having to run around and, and beg you to do something, we want you to sh tell us and show us what you would like to do. So that's why those sheets are out there. Uh, every ministry is vitally important. It takes you to make it happen. Uh, every person who's a member of our church has a ministry that they can be involved in somewhere some way, somehow. So uh, please be a part of that. The second one I want to call your attention to is the Lazy Five uh, Ranch Outing. That's for our children. That's coming up. It's going to be uh, on a Wednesday, and we hope that uh, you'll be a part of that. Those of you that have children, that you'll, you'll allow our, your children to go. If your children are under the age of first grade, they need to have a dedicated chaperone. It can be grandma, it can be grandpa, it can be Uncle Bob, it can be mom, dad, but it needs to be a dedicated chaperone for that, uh, for your child, so that we can make sure that everyone is safe, uh, that they have a good time and enjoy themselves. So that sign-up sheet is out in the front foyer. The reason we're doing a sign-up sheet is we have to call ahead and let them know how many people we're bringing because we're going to be going on a wagon ride where you get to feed all the animals and uh, they want to make sure that they have enough personnel there on a Wednesday uh, to accommodate our group. So that's why we want you to sign up uh, for that. That sign-up sheet is also out in the front foyer on the same table where the ministry teams are. So while you're signing your kid or grandkid up for that, go ahead and sign up for the ministry you want to be a part of too. That was, that was intentional. We put it all together so you can go to one-stop one shopping, okay? Get it all done at one place. Uh, two things not in the bulletin. Number one, the T-shirts came in uh, Thursday, the T-shirts that everyone ordered. They're on the front pew. They're divided by size. The sign-up sheet is laying here on the front pew. If you ordered one of the church T-shirts that has the church name on it, uh, you're welcome to come up here, mark your name off, or check your name off as you pick up your shirt, and you're welcome to go ahead and pick it up. Uh, we've also put a little receptacle there where when you do uh, want to, uh, when you pay for your shirt, you can drop the payment in that box, okay? Uh, and so that's all here for you when you get ready. 
The other one that's not in the bulletin this morning is that all of our nursery workers, if you work in any of our nurseries, uh, you guys are going to meet very briefly down front at the end of service. And so you guys will be over here somewhere around uh, in front of the piano. So if you are, if you work in any of our nurseries, if you will, please uh, be a part of that quick meeting that's going to take place at the end of service today. All right. Thank you for letting me be minister of announcements for a while. Yeah, what, I, I got to finish mine first. You got you to let me finish mine first, okay? Somebody's trying to hone in on my action here. All right. Now, we do have a, a vacation Bible school announcement, so if you'll come on up, uh, I'll let you do that. <laughs> That's true. Good morning. Um, so wanted to just give everybody the update a little bit on Bible school. So we do have the next letter is up, and it's V. Um, and if you'll see, we have started decorating some in here. And I want you to know I've already heard one young man who's like, those look cool. So I'm excited um, that the kids are getting excited about it too. Um, but V stands for pray for each heart to value what Jesus values most. So while it's fun to see the decorations and it's fun to do them and it's good to see the kids remember why we're here and why we're doing Bible school. It's because we want to reach the young people and we want to reach their families and them. So Pray for them, pray for the workers, pray for anybody who comes to those doors that pray for each heart to value what Jesus values most. And we do still have two more Saturdays that we'll be decorating, 10 to 12. We'd love to see you. Thank you, Melissa. And thank you so much for those of you who have given up those hours on your Saturdays already to come and work and start the decorating uh, and creating the decorations that will go up later. Thank you so much for your uh, the dedication of your time to come and work on that. Uh, and again, there'll be a couple more Saturdays there from 10 to 12 that you can come and be a part of that. I think you guys start out in the in the youth building and then kind of move from there. So uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, that'll be this coming Saturday. Let's take just a moment to pray together and then we'll uh, get move into our, our song portion of our worship service. Thank you again for being here today. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, how good it is to be in his house today. Lord, we know that we are not here by accident, but by appointment with you. There are no coincidences with you, Lord. You, long before this day ever uh, was placed on a calendar, you knew that it would come, and you knew who would be gathered in this place, so you've brought us here. We pray for those of our church number that are traveling, those that are out of town, those that are vacationing. We ask you, Lord, to keep them safe. Uh, in their journeys. We pray, Lord, that you'll just give them uh, rest for their bodies that they may be restored and renewed in their strength. Thank you again for the opportunity to gather here. Lord, as we prepare to move into Vacation Bible School in the next couple of weeks, Lord, we, we just want to lift that to you, knowing, Lord, that it can be uh, an awesome opportunity to reach children and parents with the, the truth of the gospel. So, Lord, how I pray that you, you ignite within our hearts not only the desire to serve in that, but also, Lord, ignite in our hearts the desire to invite others to be a part of it. Lord, whether it's two kids or whether it's 200 kids, Lord, whoever's in this building, you're going to know each one of them by name. You're going to know their family. You're going to know their heart. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll work in their lives in a mighty way through those who give their time and energy to make Vacation Bible School happen. That, Lord, somewhere, somehow, a seed will be planted, that a child will come to know Christ, that parents will be uh, touched, that the seed will be planted in their lives as well. 
Lord, more than anything, we just pray that whatever we do, that it's going to exalt the, the name of Jesus above every name. Because we know that it, that is the only name that can save us from our sin. So, Lord, we, we ask you to guide us now in what we're do, going to be doing in these next uh, several minutes together. We pray that you lead us as we sing, Lord. I pray that our hearts will be filled with joy. Our hearts will be filled with gratitude. That our hearts will be filled with worship. That as we sing to you, Lord, that you will be pleased with our worship. And that you will hear our, our love and adoration through the words that we sing. And as we study your word, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would minister to our hearts, teaching us, showing us the truth that you have for us. And we know, Lord, that if we do those things, that when we leave here today, we're going to be different than we were when we entered in. So, God, we give you this time, and we pray your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now's the time to worship. Stand here and sing. Time to worship. 
Let's pray. God, we thank you again for the opportunity to come to your house to hear your word. And as Pastor Tommy brings the word, Lord, we just ask that you give him discernment, give him wisdom. We ask that you would give us uh, an open heart, open mind for what all we're about to hear. And uh, God, we just also pray for the tithes and offerings that you would Bless the gift and bless the giver. And we ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you again for your singing, and I, I hope that you were listening to the words of that song as you were singing along with them. The Bible says, God is for you. Now, let that sink in for just a second, okay? Uh, God, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the great I am, the one who could simply speak the words and the world would form, one who can heal those who are stricken and those, the one that can save those who are lost, God is, oh, by the way, that's in perfect tense, which means it's true every tick of the clock. There's never going to be a tick of the clock when God isn't for you. He is for you. Present tense. Now, no matter what you're going through, no matter how good things may be or bad things may be, no matter what you're facing, God is right now, this moment, with every tick of the clock for you. God is for you. Have you ever felt like maybe he was against you when things were going south, when things seemed to be falling apart? God is for you, which means you are in his favor. You are, he is working on your behalf. He is actively pursuing what is the very best for you. He is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. God is for you. Oh, what I mean, I know he's for, you know, the the people of Israel. I know he's for, you know, these these great evangelical leaders. No, God's for you. You. Right here in Locust, North Carolina. Whether you live in Locust, Stanfield, Oakborough, Midland, wherever you may live. God is for you. He's for you. Now, that, that's something encouraging, isn't it? That the God of the universe is constantly, presently, always in your favor, working on your behalf for you. Man, those four words right there will transform your life if you let them. God is for you. That's sermon number one. Let's go to Micah chapter number uh, six. See, that's what happens when you give the pastor that much time to preach. He preaches two sermons. Let's go to, let's go to Micah chapter number six. And today we're going to be continuing our series out of the book of Micah called God is Faithful. 
And next week, it being Father's Day, we'll, we're still going to be in the book of Micah, but we're going to be finishing up this series together. And then starting the last Sunday of this month, we're going to start walking through the book of Philippians together. Uh, so for today and next Sunday, we're going to be uh, finishing up the book of Micah, and then we'll move into Philippians. Today we're going to be in Micah chapter number 6, verses 1 through 8. So let's read that together uh, and see what God has to say to us today. Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord for... You enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a cause against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. My people have done, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled and what Balaam son of Beor said and how Shidem to Gilgal and that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in Thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or love mercy, as your translation may say, and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word that is living, it is active, and it is true. We know, Lord, that there is a truth that is being presented in your word today that is for each of us as individuals. That, Lord, while we may think of others that this truth applies to, let it be known, Lord, that this applies to each of us today as well guide us as we study your word may the holy spirit of god illuminate our minds help us to be able to understand the truth of your word and i just want to say thank you god that you are for me in jesus name we pray amen in pastoral ministries one of the things that often pastors are asked to do is to work with couples who are struggling in their marriage. And I think most couples who have been married for more than 15 minutes have had struggles from time to time. Amen. But without a doubt, one of the things that I see most common that that creates that that struggle within a marriage is what we call unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Now, there's a few of you in this room who have gone through pre-marriage counseling with me, and you'll know one of the first things that I do 
is I have you sit knee to knee and look eye to eye and tell each other what you expect of each other when you get married. Now, you can imagine the first things that everybody says, well, I expect you to love me forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I expect you to to stay faithful to me. That's a good one. Yeah, let's do that. But then here's what I start asking. Who's going to take the trash out? Who's going to empty the dishwasher? Who's going to do the laundry? Who's going to change the oil in the car? Who's going to put the gas in it? Uh, who's, Who's going to sweep the floors and who's going to dust the furniture who's who's going to do that now that's when it gets interesting when they're sitting knee to knee you see a lot of times what i find is that what creates the greatest struggles in relationships is that we're expecting something of other people but they don't know we're expecting it of them so they're not doing it and then we get disappointed. We become discouraged. We, we think they don't care. We, we think we're not important to them. We, we think something's going on here that we're, or somehow is, is, is we're going off track when all it is is simply unmet expectations. That is usually when one spouse feels their counterpart isn't doing what's expected of them. Can I tell you what I find? Can I, can I, can I do a sidebar here? Most of the time, men want their wives to act like their mother, and their women want the husbands to act like their dad. That's what I have found. Now, I, I don't know if that's, that's not always, of course. That's the majority of the time. Some guy comes in, and he, he's upset. What's the matter with you? Well, uh, you know, my mom always had supper piping hot on the table when my dad come in, and I come home, and, and she's not even started dinner yet. I don't know what's going on. Well, she, she just worked a a 10-hour shift, and she just stood on her feet all day, and, you know, mom may not have had that, that thing going on there, or she'll run the car until the oil completely is gone, and the motor locks up, and she'll say, well, my dad always changed my oil for my, for my mom, and I just expected him to change the oil. Well, did you tell him you expected him to change the oil? Well, no. So now I got a locked-up engine. We end up paying the price for unmet expectations. God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel. And and in that covenant, he would be their God. He would be their protector. He'd be their provider. He would bless them as a nation. And in return, their side of the covenant is that they would serve Him wholeheartedly and live a life devoted to Him, worshiping no other gods. That was the covenant they had made there in the beginning. In fact, let me read that, uh, those words to you. You'll find them all the way back in Genesis. You don't have to turn there, but I do want to read them to you. In Genesis chapter 17, this covenant's being made with Abram, who we know later was named changed to Abraham. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord God Almighty. Now here's Abraham's side of it. Walk before me and be blameless. In other words, be obedient to what I I call for you to do. Love me, serve me, walk with me. And then here's God's side of the covenant. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with with you and it will be uh, and you will be a father to a multitude of nations 
No longer will your name be called Abram, but you should be called Abraham, for I've made you a father of multitude of nations, and I will make you and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after through, throughout all their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your descendants, and I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout all their generations. So we see a marriage of sort taking place. Where God the Father says to this individual named Abram, who is a man of great faith and a, a man of great righteousness, and he says to him, I want to make a, I want to make a, I want to build a relationship. I want to make a covenant with you. And here's that covenant. I will provide for you. I will protect you. You will love and serve me. That was the relationship. The problem is the Israelites had not met the expectations that had been placed on them. They had not met the expectations of the relationship. There's two things here that I want us to look at really quickly. One is just that a charge is made against God's people. We saw that in in chapter 6 down through verse number 5. God levies a charge against them. He even calls the mountains into into the courtroom to be the witnesses, to testify, to verify that this covenant had been made. The very mountains that Abram lived among and, and his descendants now occupied all of that land, he calls the mountains into witness. He said, these mountains will verify the truth of the covenant that we have made. And this is what... I said I would do, and, and you have agreed and said this is what you would do, but you're not keeping your end of the relationship. You're not keeping your end of the covenant. He recounts his faithfulness to the covenant. He has repeatedly, he talks about their deliverance from Egypt. He talks about their wanderings through the, the wilderness, about the establishment of a, of a nation. He recounts over and over again his faithfulness on his portion of the covenant. He has provided, he has delivered, he has done everything he promised he would do. He has done it. There is no charge that any person can bring against God that somehow, some way, he hasn't kept his end of the relationship agreement. That somehow he hasn't kept his end of the bargain. Somehow he has violated our covenant. No one can bring that against him. But God is looking at his people and he's saying, well, I'm doing my part, and I do it because I love you and because I want to be faithful to you, but you're not doing your part. The charge is being made that Israel is not being faithful to God. The entire first two chapters of Micah that we went through together was God recounting Israel's rebellion over and over again, how they kept turning away from him, and then, then they would turn back, and then they would turn away, then they would turn back, and then they would turn away. It was just a vicious cycle that they were going through. But now they had made up their mind as, 
as, as the nation of Israel and now the nation of, or, or the, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, that they're going to go after other gods. They, they had built temples. Uh, they had built uh, Asherah poles. They had built shrines to Baal. They had put these things all through their land to show that they were not being faithful to the God who made the covenant with them. They were being devoted to these false deities. They were, they were, they were giving their time, their energy, their love, their uh, allegiance to these, these false gods. They had perverted, they had even gone so far as to, to pervert God's commands. They had ignored His pleas to return. Over and over again, I mean, if you read the Old Testament, over and over again, God comes to the people of Israel, and out of love, and out of grace, and out of mercy, He calls them back to Himself over and over again. Listen, He, He could have become angry, He could have become, He, he could have become, uh, malicious, and He could have, He could have done major damage to them and wiped them out of the, of, off the face of the earth, couldn't He? But instead, over and over, he kept saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. And now we find that they have embraced all these false gods. They have even hired false prophets to proclaim a false message from God so they could feel better about their sin. And now the God of heaven is calling them on the carpet for their failure to keep the covenant that had been made between them. And he's not doing this out of hate or malice. He's doing this out of faithful love for the people of Israel. Folks, I'm here to tell you that's, that's the way God operates. He operates that way in our life. He operates that way with the, the nation of Jerusalem he, he, or nation of Israel. He operates that way with, with all of us as Christians. He operates the same way out of love. He calls us to repentance. To turn away from sin, to turn, to, to let go of that which we have embraced of the world and to love Him with our whole heart. In fact, isn't that what Jesus said when they asked Him, what is the greatest commandment? Isn't that the very answer that Jesus gave? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God. Just love Him. And follow Him and, and, and be obedient to Him. That's all that God is asking of us. I know it's difficult, and especially in the culture that we live in now. Especially in a world that's filled with so many distractions. That's filled with, with so much perversion. It's easy to, to get sidetracked. It's hard to live a life of devotion to God. But He still calls us to that same covenant. To live with Him in obedience. He loves us too much to allow us to continue in our rebellious behavior. But as the Bible testifies, He cannot and He will not bless us if we're walking in disobedience to Him. He will not bless you if you're living in disobedience to God. Yeah, that doesn't mean that everything that happens to you will be bad. It doesn't mean that, that you, will, you, you will never have anything good happen in your life. But if you're living under the chastisement of God, if you're living under the judgment of God, can I tell you something? You know it. It's not a, I guess I am, I might be. Uh, uh, you are. Because God 
cannot bless our disobedience. And so now he levels his convicting gauge, his gaze against his people. And he says to them, you are living in open, willful disobedience to me. I believe that's what God says to us today still. Not just as individuals and not just as a nation, but as a culture. I think God is looking at us and he's leveling those same charges against us that we are not living in obedience. He created us to know him. He created us to, to love him. He created us so that he could, he, he could walk with us and bless us and, and, and give us the, the desires of our heart. But he can't give us those things because we're walking in willful, open disobedience to him. You don't have to go very far. You don't just turn on your your news and pick up a a publication somewhere, a news publication, or or, or pull it up on your phone and start reading about all the things that are going on in our culture around us. And you, it's not hard to find that we have we are flaunting our sin in the face of God. We're flaunting it. And we're telling God, I not only do I am I not keeping my end of the covenant, I don't want to keep my end of the covenant any longer. The Holy Spirit works to convict believers when we choose to embrace sin and and, and He does that so that He can bring us back in love to that relationship that he wants to have with us as a people and as an individual, as a church. He calls us back to himself. That it's not about a, it's not about a, a denomination and it's, 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 it's not about a, a particular church building and it's not about a particular preacher and it's not about a particular program, but it's about him. That's what he wants us to be in love with. To be in love with Him. God desires to bless us, but He can't and He won't as long as we're willfully living in sin. So He, He levels a charge against His people. But then we go into verse number six and, and, and we read down through the remainder of what we read together and, and then we see that there's not just a charge level, but then there's a change that is demanded. God is demanding a change. Now, the people of Israel become defensive at this charge. They don't like what they're hearing. Oh, let me put it in today's language. They were offended by what they were hearing. They didn't like the news. They didn't like being told that they were living in sin. They didn't like being told that they were being disobedient. They didn't like being told that, that they were walking outside of God's will. They didn't like that. And so almost in a sarcastic tone, they begin to ask, now listen, no offense to our teenagers, but this sounds like a teenager. Okay? Well, what do you want me to do then? All right, you're mad at me, huh? What do you want me to do? Here, here, let me. 
do, do you want me to bring a yearling calf? Oh, I know. I know what you want. You want thousands of rams to be sacrificed to you, right? What about 10,000 rivers of oil? Would that, would that satisfy you? Would that make you happy? Well, what if I just sacrifice my, my firstborn? What if I just go ahead and sacrifice my own flesh and blood? Would, would that appease you, God? Would that make you happy? Would that get you off my back? Doesn't it sound like that? When you read it, doesn't it sound like that? Doesn't it sound like a sarcastic person saying, well, well, well okay, just hold on a minute. You don't seem to be liking anything that I'm doing right now. You don't seem to be approving of any way that I'm living right now. So just what do you want? And it's almost like he, the people of Israel pull out their checkbook and they go, all right, how much is it going to take to make this judgment go away? How much is it going to take? Let me see what I got. Can I write you a check? Do you take debit cards? But what, what's it going to take for us to get out from under this judgment thing? Name your price, God. Just name your price. Tell me what it is you want. Yearling calves, thousands of rams, rivers of oil, firstborn children. What do you need, God, in order for us not to go through this judgment? Now, here's the problem. In their minds, in their minds, they thought God was upset because they weren't religious enough. So what do you, what do you want, God? You, you, you really expect me to start going to church every Sunday? What do you expect? I mean, what do you, what do you want, God? Am, am I going to have to start reading this book every day? What do you want, God? Do, you, you, do I have to check in with you in a, with a prayer conversation every day? Oh, what do you want? What's it going to take? I want you to notice how God responds to them. He says, repent. Well, I will tell you later. He says, repent. That's what I want you to do. You say, wait a minute, I don't see that in there. It says, he says, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Huh? But wait a minute. They were treating people unjustly. They were tipping the scales in the favor of the merchants they were robbing people by taxing them at exorbitant amounts and exacting all of this tribute and exacting all of these taxes and they were oppressing people they were treating people unjustly so god says do justly that's the opposite of what they're doing right with me They're doing unjust things. God says, then do just things. That's repentance. They were oppressing the poor, refusing to show mercy, kicking the the widows and the and the lame and the elderly and the and and those who were who were maimed. They were kicking them out of their homes and forcing them to live on streets so that they could buy up their land and buy up their houses and, and, and all of that. They were, they were being merciless. And so what does God tell them to do? To practice mercy. Love mercy. You're being merciless, so now show mercy. 
They were arrogantly defying God. They were proclaiming themselves self-sufficient. They were thumbing their nose in the face of God and said, I don't need you. I'm, I can handle things on my own, thank you. I've got it covered. I, I've, got, I've got everything under control. And so God says, walk humbly with me. See, that right now they're walking arrogantly away from him. And he says, walk humbly with me. That's repentance. That's what repentance looks like. That if God convicts us of something in our life that is wrong, that we're doing, that is against his will, against his word, if God convicts us of that, that then repentance looks like doing the, the diametric opposite of it. If we're hating our fellow believer, then the opposite in repentance would be to love my fellow believer. If I'm unforgiving, then the opposite would be to forgive. If, 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 I, am, if I am avoiding the things of God, the opposite would be to run to the things of God. It's, that's what repentance looks like. It's a change of heart, it's a change of mind, it's a change of attitude, and it's a change in action, it's a change in direction. It is, it is a 180 degree turn from where you were going to where you should be going. That's what repentance looks like. So every time we bump up on this word repentance, that's what God is saying. Turn around. And that's what he's saying to these Israelites. That what I demand of you is not more religious works. I'm not asking you to, to sacrifice more rams. I'm not asking you to pour out more valuable oil. I'm not asking you to put your children on a sacrificial altar. I'm not asking you to do those things. I'm asking you to repent. Stop doing the sinful thing. And start doing the righteous thing. By the way, it's not just in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament too, by the way. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25. Paul writes, therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, do what? Speak truth. Each one of you with his neighbor, because... We are parts of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals, what's what's he to do? He must no longer steal. But rather he must labor, producing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Even in the the New Testament, the, the message is still the same thing. Repent. Turn around. You see, that's, that's, the, that's the cry of God to, to the New Testament church. That's the cry of God to America. That's the cry of God to the world He created. It's, it's, it's turn around. You're marching toward a cliff. There's nothing but danger and devastation ahead of you. Turn around. Judgment is in front of you. Blessings is behind you. Which one do you want to march toward? Choose blessings and turn around. 
God demands our repentance of sin. God does not take sin flippantly. He doesn't just look at sin and and think it's a bad thing. If there is one thing that, that God can hate, it is our sin. And He wants us to receive His blessings instead of His judgment. And in chapter 6, verse 8, that's God's call for Israel to repent. To do the opposite of what they're currently doing. Brandon's not here today. and for Today and next week he'll be preaching at a church in our area because of their pastor being gone to the Southern Baptist Convention. Wow. I am Southern Baptist by choice, I will tell you that. But they're going to debate this week. What is a pastor? My Bible already tells me what it is. I don't know why you need a debate. I don't know why you need a committee. The Bible tells me what it is. But they're going to debate it this week. While outside of the very convention center where they're at, drag queens, women dressed in scantily clothed, if you want to call it clothes, will protest. Calling the people in the building bigoted, calling them intolerant. Calling them all kind of things. Those who favor murdering the babies in the wombs, they'll be, they'll be standing outside that convention hall, shouting and screaming, cursing. They'll be there, I promise you, in full force, if they're not already. Oh, by the way, in honor of the Southern Baptist Convention, there was a group that held a naked bike ride through downtown New Orleans yesterday. In honor of the Southern Baptist Convention being in their town. Don't we need to repent? But can I tell you what the Bible says? Judgment begins in the house of God. It starts here. Does God love those people that are going to be out there protesting? Absolutely. He loved them enough to die for them. Do they need to got the gospel? Absolutely they need the gospel. They need to hear truth and love. Do those who... who Try to pervert things and turn things around. Are they worthy of, of honor and dignity? Yes, they are because they're created in the image of God. But where we as a church and where the, the New Testament church needs to, to get with the program is that our job is to love them too much to let them mark, march off the cliff that they're headed toward. We, we need to repent. It starts here. 
And you know, I'm just, I'm just crazy enough to believe. If the church of Christ were to catch on fire for the Lord, and I don't mean light a match, but I am saying that if the people of God would love God with the devotion that the people of the world love their sin, things would be different. The problem is, instead of the, the world becoming more like the church, the church has become more like the world. And it's time for repentance. So I close with this. What unmet expectations does God have of you today? If God brought you into that marital counseling session and he sat knee to knee with you, what expectations would he bring up that you're not keeping? Oh, by the way, he's already told us everything we need. So it's not that we don't know it. We're just not doing it. In other words, he's being faithful to you, but where are you being unfaithful to him? Is there an area of your life where repentance is required? Because this morning, God is not looking for more religious good works from you. He's looking for a transformed heart. A heart that beats only for him. And a heart that's filled with love for him. Just a moment, we'll pray together. It may be that you need to do business with God right there where you are in your pew. It may be that you want to come and bow in this altar and pray. You're welcome to do that. If you want someone to pray with you, pray for you. I'll be glad to do that. I'm going to be right here. But wouldn't today be a really great day to start that turn that God's called us to make? Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that you love us in spite of our unfaithfulness to you. Lord, I thank you that you love us in spite of the sin that we embrace. And that your love for those that you have created in your image, Lord, is so great. That you bring judgment not because you're punishing us but because you love us too much to let us continue in our destructive behavior lord as you search my life you've revealed to me those things i need to repent of lord as you search every heart in this room you you have identified the areas where we need to repent. As a nation, Lord, you've shown us the places, the areas where you're calling us to repentance. As a culture, you've shown us those things. Oh, God, forgive us and for we have failed you. Have mercy upon us. Thank you for your grace that you offer to us. If we'll only repent. Lord, if there's, there's a person sitting in this room today that doesn't know you personally. If there's a person watching online that doesn't know you personally today. 
God, how I pray in this very moment that you flood their very soul with the realization that they're a sinner that needs a Savior and you love them so much, you provided that Savior for them. If they would just turn away from their sin and turn to Jesus, knowing that He's their only hope, that Lord, today they can they can be set free from the destiny of of destruction, from a, a destiny of judgment against their sin. Lord, that today they can know what it means to have peace with God. I pray that that would be the desire of their heart. Lord, whatever it is you're working in our lives today, show us. And give us the courage to turn around. Of course, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing together. Trust in Jesus just to trust.
Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, don't forget, the children's workers going to meet right down front. The nursery workers are going to meet right down front uh, immediately following our service. And if you want to pick up your shirts today, you're welcome to do that. Uh, thank you again for being here. I look forward to seeing you the next time we come together. Uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, again, we thank you for your unconditional love that you love us in spite of our faults and our failures and, and our shortcomings. And, and, Lord, that you want nothing more than for us to walk in obedience with you so that you can bless us, so that you can walk close with us and love us. Lord, I just pray that would be our heart's desire as well. We just pray, God, that uh, those areas that we need to repent of, that you give us the courage and the faith to do just that. Just lead us now as we go from this place. Give each one a safe week, Lord. Just uh, keep each person in the center of your will until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.